Hey, I'm Matt Hudgens, and he's Dave Mulvaney, and this is Profitability MD. Dave, how you doing, buddy? Matt, I am doing fantastic. Welcome back from vacation. Welcome back to the real world. I'm actually in my office uh, as opposed to a lounge chair or a beach chair or, or any of those things, you know, sweating it out. <laughs> All right. Good to have you back. Good to be here. All right. So um, during my vacations, I listen to all kinds of podcasts and storylines. So, so you and I were talking a little offline. So I wanted to go down this and explore this today, which was um, how great marketing works. You know, what we learned from Lee Iacocca. So the Lee late Iacocca Lee was Iacocca. A, the late Lee Iacocca. He had passed away during my vacation time over the last couple of weeks. And some stories came out about what a great marketing guy he was and all the kind of things that he's done. And so um, wanted to draw those parallels and what our guys can learn from those marketing ability that he had. Well, so, I years ago read the book Iacocca, which was, I mean, it had to be, you know, like 450 pages, you know, one of those books that, that, I mean, we don't have 450, nobody writes 450 page books. <laughs> uh, no, I listen to podcasts at two times speed. I mean, come on. Yeah. I don't know that kind nobody, of time. But nobody writes in the nonfiction category 450 page books anymore. There's a few autobiographies, maybe. But uh, that being said, there was enough to be said about Iacocca and what he did in the auto industry. Um, let's just put it this way anywhere he went in the auto industry, when he was at the helm, I mean, he was successful. He was successful. And, yeah. it, and it boils down to he. He knew his clients um, and what they wanted. Maybe more so, like when we we go all the way back to, to Henry Ford, again, Henry Ford knew that his clients wanted a fast, basically a faster horse, but right. he built them right. an automobile um, that everyone could eventually afford. Right. Um, whereas Iacocca knew everybody wanted a sports car, right? And so- right. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Let's get a quick overview of like, the Iacocca stories and we can come back and, and fill them in. And so I forget where I heard this on one of the podcasts. I don't know where, but so Lee Iacocca was at Ford at the time of the Ford Mustang, right? So Mustang was a super popular muscle car. If we want to call that, you said they didn't call it that at the time, but a muscle car, very popular with the baby boomers, right? That's they were all in their 18 to early twenties at that time. Um, that he moved over cost $3,000 by the way. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? My dad has like a, a Firebird, a 68 Firebird that was like yeah, three grand or $2,800 or something like that. It's, it's amazing. I'd, uh, love to, I'd love to have that 68 Firebird. But. Yeah. Oh, he's got it totally restored. My, dad, my dad's a car guy and a motorcycle guy, so he's got all that stuff done. And then he goes over to Chrysler, and I think it's a, the late 70s, maybe early 80s, and he has the K car. But that K car, and we'll talk about the pros and cons of that, but was also meant for those same baby boomers, except now instead of being 18 to early 20s, they're kind of early 30s, right? And then also at Chrysler, which is probably the mid-80s, I think 85-ish, kind of, he, he kind of invented the, the minivan. The Dodge, Dodge Caravan was the Dodge Caravan. number one selling automobile right. in the United States. And that was the same audience. So, so he sold three different cars, the, you know, the, the Mustang when they're kids and then their, the K car when they become responsible adults and then the minivan when they have adults with families. All right, there's so many that's lessons. The I know, that's what I'm saying, that's the outline. So we can start on that. Uh, you could start with the Ford Mustang since that was the first one. Uh, but one thing I wanna say about um, 
Iacocca. If you consider the brilliance of a, of a, of a guy running car companies to say, you know, car companies are constantly reinventing themselves. We got to have this car. We got to have all these different models. Okay. GM, it's what, it's what basically bankrupted GM is because they had too many models. Instead, Lee Iacocca would come on the scene and say, we're going to be really good at one car and we're going to sell that to everybody. And that's what they really, that's what he did. He did that Ford with the Mustang. It doesn't mean they didn't have other. Right, cars. right, right. But that was the hot item. Right. But, but he said, we're going to, we're going to sell this Ford Mustang. And he did something that um, no other car manufacturer was technically considering. Um, GM followed suit in the early 1970s, but he put a six cylinder straight six cylinder engine in the Ford Mustang to make it more affordable. Now, at that time, I don't know if that made a $500 difference or a thousand. I, I don't right, know right. the price, but it made it more affordable because not everybody who wanted a Mustang wanted to go fast. Some people just wanted to look like I've got a Mustang. Right. Give them what they want, not what they, not what they need. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, because, you know, not everybody, you know, grandma, didn't want to go fast, but she wanted a Mustang. But she wanted a cool car. That's she right. Like grandma, right? Because like we're like we're we're you know you're 49, I'm 50, and you know we don't feel like grandparents yet, and I'm not. But I mean, at the same time, in a few you know five years, I could be a grandparent, and <laughs> I would still want to drive a sports car. Is my point? Right, right. And well, that's yeah, exactly right. But he rode the wave. I guess is what I'm saying is, call about know your clientele. You know, he he basically rode the baby boomer wave and sold. Uh, several different items to the same people, right? And so for me, one of the lessons would be kind of uh, cross-selling or upselling or downselling, right? Which is, you know, those terms we talked about, the five ways to grow your business and increase the leads and, and conversions and transactions, more transactions with existing clients. And that's, that's almost Lee Iacocca in my mind, which is he sold the same people, the baby boomers, three different types of cars. Right. So could you sell to your customer, cross sell, you're a dentist and you're going to sell uh, orthodontics as well as cavities, as well as whitening your teeth. Right. What else can we sell to the same clientele? Um, and, and here's the. OK, so I, I released a video this morning um, and a new coaching program. And I, and, I, and during the, the, the coaching program, which is free, it's um, you get a davidmulvaney.com, but it's base, what I call baseball copywriting, how to use the baseball diamond as a, as a template to, to create an ideal marketing message. Okay. On second base, I talk about how trust is such a catalyst to selling. And the reason I use the baseball diamond is because you can go around it and around it again and again. If there's anybody who went around the baseball diamond multiple times, it's Lee Iacocca. And he took the same customer around the same lap. Now, what's amazing is he moved from Ford to Chrysler, but because people trusted him, they were willing to go down around that lap with him with a new automobile. And right, what's important right. to understand is the Chrysler K car was a piece of crap and the entire <laughs> industry knew it. But right. he said, okay, in order for us to sell this piece of junk, we'll give a 10 year warranty. He came out the longest warranty ever on a car at that period of time. And the people who trusted Lee, they bought. And so trust is what he had with those baby boomers. He took one industry and said, I'm going to make these people trust me. And I, I'm not going to make them trust me. 
I'm going to, I'm going to create our marketing in such a way that they will trust us. And we're going to keep their trust because we're not going to crap on them. That's what, I mean, we're going to take care of them. Right. Right. He did it with the Mustang. He made a transition and then he moved into minivans. And again, with a 10 year warranty, because everything on that minivan would break. The door handles would break the window cranks that everything would break on that automobile. But yet he still sold more than that was the number one selling vehicle in the United States was that stupid minivan. Right, right. Exactly right. He, well, ruined, I had, he ruined the industry. He ruined the industry. That's the most practical car ever. Come on, I'm a minivan fan. Don't be banging. I got to tell you, I, when my wife and I we had my son, I swore, I said, I will never buy a minivan. Now, we did buy SUVs, which was just that was for people like me who weren't going to drive the minivan. Right, right. So, so, so my wife is the exact same way. So we had, you know, the shorter Tahoe thing. And then we got the big old Suburban for years and years. And finally, 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 we ended up getting the minivan. Because we do a bunch of travel for the travel soccer and all that kind of stuff. And because it, almost like you just said with the Mustang, it's a six-cylinder. The gas mileage was like half as much. I spent like 50% less in gas. Yeah. So we switched to the damn minivan. And I the, love the minivan. And the minivan is probably a better ride it was a better ride it was quicker smoother everything was awesome but yeah anyway. i mean I, I get it i but i i never i never succumbed to the to the to the minivan um doesn't mean i won't later in life when i'm a grandpa but uh, that's, <laughs> that's i have seen that by the way i have clients that have bought minivans as grandparents uh they got the sedan with the you know when they're going to dinner with their spouse and then but they need the minivan to drive around the grandkids i've, I've literally have seen that they thought they were done they thought they were going to have a little sports vehicle but, but i digress what i was going to say though about uh iacocca and and knowing i had you broke up there for a minute hang on just one second all right go ahead yep. say that again all right um about iacocca and knowing his audience was the thinking about a roofer i had uh, a meeting this morning with a roofer right and so you can do the same thing. I'm just using roofer as an example where there are two ways to view that. How do you get more business when you're a roofer? It can be one, you've got clients in an existing neighborhood. I'm going to, you know, I've seen that where they, I've done a campaign with one of my roofer guys where you send postcards in the neighborhood. Hey, we're working on the neighbor, you know, we're doing the roof of one of your neighbors. Uh, love to come by and give you an estimate and see if there's any damage on your roof and see what we can do, right? So you're working in the neighborhood because you're already in there because of the trust, right? There's is an implied trust like you just talked about in the diamond because, because I'm in your neighborhood and I'm working with one of your neighbors. Inherently, I have trust. So why not build upon that trust and work the same neighborhood, right? Knowing the customer base, right? Knowing that clientele. You could also do it where it's the age of the home. I think we talked about that before, maybe with air conditioning, HVAC guys, right? Yeah. Which is you know, roofs go bad in 20 years, right? So I've got some clients over here and this neighborhood is 20 years old. What other neighborhoods do I have that's 20 years old that, that are nearby? And we work that neighborhood. Hey, your house is probably about 20 years old. It's probably about time for a roof. We're doing some roofs in your neighborhood or your neighborhood next door. Can we come by and offer you whatever, the evaluation and we'll talk about whatever the, the lead magnet would be for that. But my point is, is there's your target audience, right? It's people with 20 year old houses or it's neighbors of existing clients. Let's build upon that. Um, on the, let's, let's hold on the roofer for a minute. Yeah. So I'm gonna yeah. use what you just talked about is using the, using the trust of others. Now, yes. Eugene Schwartz um, in his book, Breakthrough Copywriting, he talks about how um, 
the really good copywriters who would write for the Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal had a very, very unique font back back in like the you know in the day. They still do, but um, the good copywriters would make their font identical so that their ads didn't look like an ad. People actually right. thought they were reading an article. Now, if I'm a roofer and I've been doing roofs in a specific neighborhood, let's say there's five or 600 houses in the neighborhood. Yeah. I'm going to get authorization to take a picture of one of the houses in the neighborhood, especially if it's in the front of the neighborhood and everybody see that house. Right. I'm going to use my mailer because I'm going to create artificial trust through my advertising by using a picture of the neighbor that they all see the house. They're all, I reckon that's Steve's house. Right, right, Steve's right. <laughs> and so people associate that trust in their brain to Steve who lives in the neighborhood. And um, you, can, you can get more business that way because people like to feel comfortable and that creates trust. Um, I do know the roofing business in Atlanta is very, very competitive. Yes. Because there's yes. been so many hailstorms. My brother-in-law, my brother-in-law is in the roofing business in Atlanta. And, and his response has been about 80% of the roofs in Atlanta are new in the past seven years. That's because a, of, yeah. Because of hail. Because of hail. We get these hailstorms. Yes. You got hailstorms. You got pretty good marketing companies too. They're, they're getting in and getting everybody a free roof. Well, not free, but deductible. Oh, yeah, deductible out of the insurance. That's a perfect marketing right there. Hey, we just had a hailstorm. Let's check your roof for hail damage. That's, That's a perfect marketing strategy right there. They're hail chasers is almost all what all, all <laughs> roofers are. They are actually storm chasers. Storm chasers. But this also leads, you talk about the trust. So, so in that example, we're the trust of your neighbor in that example for the roofer. And, I, and I'll stick with the roofer just because, but we've learned this before from the HVAC guy, right? So now you did the roof and you did a good job. You've got some trust, right? Obviously, right. We talk about asking for referrals, anybody else you know that needs a roof, but, but even different than that or better that I think we talked about with, I think we talked about when I redid my house over here, which was like a client survey, you know, what did we do? Well, what can we do better? By the way, are you, you, you planning on any other projects, any other home renovation, landscaping, bathrooms, kitchens, basements, landscaping pools. And now you've got a referral network right? Where now you have the opportunity to cross sell to your same customer, a different product, right? So you don't have to be the pool guy. You don't have to be the landscaper, but you have the resource. You have the trust. You did a good job with the roof. They trust you. They like you. And probably anybody you refer to them, they will use because they like you and trust you. And now you've got a referral network because you asked the question, right? You asked for the survey, hey, how do we do? What other projects got planned? And now you give those referrals to your network. Maybe get a cut of it. We talked about a 10 to 15% cut because you're doing marketing for them. But more importantly, the pool guy loves you. He's looking for opportunities for you to get a new roof, right? The, the landscaping guy loves you. So he's doing the same thing to his clients to look for new roofing opportunities for you. Yeah. So again, now that way you're, you're building on your own trust. You mentioned second base and, and I said, well, we're going to use other people's trust in the neighborhood because I'm already here. Right. Yeah. But then once I did a good job, I could use my own trust. Hey, you like me and trust me. What else you got you're planning on doing? And I probably have a referral that can, that can help you out. And I can use my own trust for my referral network. And then, and that trust is, is a, um, again, that's sharing the trust because you know, if um, I'll give you, for instance, my, my daughter was rear-ended on I-4, so we're looking for a car for her. 
and I've got some friends in the business. And what I like is a lot of, I, I'm going to let my daughter buy her replacement car because she's going to get insurance money for it. And, um, but I have friends in the car business and I've called them and, and all of them have said the same thing. Even, even if, you know, you don't buy a car for me, bring it to me and let me check it out before you, before you sign on the dotted line. I just want to make sure your daughter gets a good car. Now, right. you think the odds, if I'm going to go buy a used car, like a higher price, because most of my friends don't sell cars at the, at the price point she's looking for. But um, that being said, if, if it was a higher price car, I'd go to them, right? Because they're right. Like, exactly right. make sure your daughter doesn't, you know, doesn't get a piece of junk, a lemon. And so that's trust. You, there's, and here's the thing. We're, we're talking about roofers or HVAC contractors. What really builds trust is when, you know, you've got the job now and are you going to throw everything to the wayside and let your subcontractors destroy your, that trust because you're not going to watch them. You're not going to make sure the job gets done. Right. I, I think so many people miss it on the fulfillment stage that you can lose all the trust on the fulfillment stage or even after the fulfillment stage when, when the client has a, a warranty issue or a non-warranty issue, but yet you warranty it. Those are all areas where you, you could lose the trust and never get it back again. Right. Well, it's funny you said it because it brings to mind when uh, I was renovating my house, we bought this house and I call that the during unit, like when you're delivering the service, right? So we had a painter that was doing the outside and, and ended up, we hired him to do some inside paint as well and had subcontractors, right? But they had a liaison that came by every single day. How are you doing today? You notice any issues? What can we do? And it was, it was maybe a 10 minute little stop by, right? And it might be, okay, uh, you know, Mr. Matt, you know, take some you know, piece of tape and put it by some of your concerned areas, right? But they came by almost every day, right? And that's the, because they're, they're maintaining my trust, right? They're, they didn't let the subcontractor ruin it, right? They didn't argue with me like, oh, that's just normal wear and tear when the paint settles, blah, 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 blah. No, they were just like, you know, giving me a great client experience. So, of course, I'm going to recommend them. Uh, I got a meeting with a dentist tomorrow. And we're talking about that exact same thing. The client experience, the op every opportunity of your staff to interact with the clients is a chance to wow the client. So when you go to a dental office, wouldn't it be great if the reception was really nice and pleasant, right? Uh, pleasant music, pleasant sounds, the receptionist is pleasant, right? Wouldn't it be really neat if they all knew my name? Wouldn't it be really neat if they had whatever, cookies, warm chocolate chip cookies, or what, you know, they're dentists, so probably not. <laughs> That's gonna be in your teeth. But you, know, but you can wow, right? Every interaction from the front desk to the hygienist to the dentist himself is a chance to, to wow the, the client and the better the experience the better the referrals right absolutely and i think the the pro, that's probably one of the biggest feared um professions too great it, point you know right. is, is a lot of people don't want to go to the dentist because um well first of all it's the unknown if i go to the dentist am i going to have 15 cavities and he's going to tell me it's going to be ninety thousand dollars i mean um <laughs> That's, that's, a, that's the fear of the unknown. And um, so I think the client experience in a dental office 
is way more important than probably the anything else. And the client experience probably begins before they walk in the door. Absolutely. Uh, and, and long after they walked out the door. Um, and, you know, it might be music. Um, I would think how clean your ceiling tiles are make a difference. Um, yeah. I, um, I had a conversation with a dentist about this. I'm like, look, the light above your head. Don't even, I mean, you got, yeah, you got a glove on and in my mouth and you're going to grab that light. And I don't even know if you ever cleaned that light in a hundred years. <laughs> they don't think like a patient and it's right. It, and so how do you think like a patient? Well, you got to, you talk to your patients. You say, yeah. Hey, I, I need to know what are things that I could do in my office that make me better, make your experience better. Tell me your fears. What, what are you afraid of to come see? Because de dentists don't want to talk about the fears people have. But you really should find out what fears your clients are facing. Well, and, 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 it, and it relates to, again, you're giving them the wow experience, right? So back to the phone when they call to make an appointment or call to change an appointment. Hopefully that's a pleasant interaction. When a new patient calls, hopefully that's a pleasant interaction. And, and so we talk about systems and processes that, you know, here's how you answer the phone. Here's what you say. Here's how you say it. Um, again, not a script, but just, you know, you and I would call it common courtesy, right? But, but it's how to wow the client. But imagine that, what they call case acceptance and the likelihood that, hey, Dave, you got a, you got a crown that needs fixing its crack. You're going to believe me and like me and trust me because of the experience. Just like the painter who gave me a great experience when I was looking for an inside painter, right? Yeah. I, I know, like, and trust me, and he gave me a great experience. Who do you think I'm going to think about painting inside? He's top of the list, right? Because of the great experience during the process, right? Yeah. So, so it leads to greater acceptance. They call it in, in dentistry, uh, acceptance of treatment. You know, oh, you need a crown fix. Greater acceptance of budget, greater upsell. Hey, you might want to think about getting your teeth white. You're a number seven. I can get you to a nine. Oh, really, doc? Great, right? They're going to they're gonna be more receptive to your cross-selling and upselling and patient acceptance. Your clients are... Um, when they have that trust and, and they, they have the ability to pay and you offer them something, a lot of people don't like to say no to an offer when there's trust there. So point. they will say, okay. I mean, you know, okay is they're closed, right? I mean, you close the sale. Um, that may not be the exact response you wanted, but um, that's what you're doing. You have trust. You move to an offer. And, and I believe, like, you, you can make an offer, different offers, is, is, and a lot of times you have to re-earn the trust on a, on a different level if the offer gets more expensive. Because, like, if you come in for a crown, you get a cracked crown. Right. And, and he's going to tell you about um, having, like, five of your front teeth replaced with implants, and it's going to be $10,000. Well, I just need a crown today. Right, right. Exactly. That was too much. That was a too aggressive. Yeah. You, you, right. But, um, if you speak to them over the next, if he speaks to you for a year, year and a half about the pain you're having on your front teeth or whatever, and, and that, uh, we've got these implants and let me show you how they work. And I'm going to, I'm going to let you, you know, see this, how it all goes together and it can all be done in a day and all, I mean, they got all, I mean, I don't know how all that works, but, um, and then before long you start preparing mentally, like, Boy, that sounds like a good good procedure. Maybe I'd like to find out how much it is. And he tells you how much it is. And 
uh, but he's very low key on it, you know, that might be something you want to think about over time. Or we have a, you know, we've got a two years, same as cash on that procedure. Right, exactly right. We were talking about, this just reminded me, I have a, a veterinarian as one of my clients, and we talked about that, where you're setting up um, persuasion. Remember when we talked about that book before? Uh, I can't think of the guy's name. Caldini. Caldini, right. And persuasion, you can set that up. So, so let's say you're running, uh, this is a vet, and, and running teeth whitening, right? The teeth whitening for dogs, which is like teeth whitening for people, so it's the same concept, which is, which is you know, the receptionist mentions teeth whitening, the, 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 the technician who takes the dog back mentions the teeth whitening, the, 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 the junior vet who does some of the vitals mentions the teeth whitening. So then when the vet comes in and mentions the teeth whitening, they're much more receptive because we kind of planted the seed and I didn't have to sell you on it. I just, you know, hey, it was teeth whitening month or whatever, uh, you know, for that an extra. The TV in the lobby should have been. The TV in the lobby can be playing it. That's, a, yes, that's what not, I'm saying, where you've set not, them up. Not to mention the postcard you got six weeks before you were in there that said, have you seen my teeth? And it's just got a picture of a dog with really white teeth. I mean, all of those things. Those things are being the cheese, right? Could you persuade them and you're not trying to convince them of anything? They've already been thinking, hey, yeah, you know, my teeth, my dog's got bad breath. Let's 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 brush his teeth. Right? So, um, you know, we've always said everybody wants to buy, nobody wants to be sold. Marketing is everything you do until somebody buys. So, if meaning you never have to sell if you're marketing. Like we just laid out, okay, we went from a postcard to the to the TV in the lobby to the receptionist to the junior, uh, uh, what do you Technician and the junior vet, yeah. To the vet. Um, a lot of things happened there that could have been very low key, but they were uh, marketing messages that's gonna bring the client to a desired response at, at a time it's right for the client. Right. That might be when she's right there in front of the vet with Snoopy, you know I mean? Right, right. So that, I don't, you know, that's a, that's a good time to bring them to a response. Are you ready for the teeth cleaning with, with your dog? Well, yeah, I think so. I've been thinking about it uh, all day or all month. Yeah, exactly. I, what, I wasn't thinking about it, but I, because of the dog's breath, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to discuss the teeth cleaning. So. <laughs> now we're going to get subliminal marketing and all this stuff. Yeah, I didn't so we went from Lee Coca to dog's breath. In that's, that's, that's exactly right. But I got to tell you, I mean, it's it's the lessons learned from Lee Iacocca, like we talked about, right? That is, that is, can we sell something to the same clients? Can we build upon our own trust we've established when he moves from Ford to Chrysler? Can we build upon the trust of of others, of other people? Can we build? I, you mentioned earlier, so I was thinking the build of other people, uh, client referrals, right? So, so I was doing something with one of my other clients and about client referrals, which was, you know. Part of the reasons, you know, their stats are that people will give you referrals, just never ask me. I don't know how to do it, that kind of stuff, right? So, so part of our job is to teach clients how to give you referrals, right? And then what the best kind of referrals are. There's also a stat, industry stat that says, well, I've given your number out, Dave, like five times. I, don't, I guess I never called you. But in my mind, I gave you the referral because I gave out your number. So going back to teach your clients how to refer. So, so you have a book, you have a white paper, you have a lead magnet, you know, you, you know, you're the copywriter, the lead magnet, which, but now we teach the client, Hey, 
So if you have any neighbors that are talking about hail damage, here's the, now we don't call it a lead magnet, but we, you and I call it a lead magnet, you know, please let me know and, and, and send them a copy of, uh, you know, how to inspect your roof for hail damage, right? And copy me on the email, right? And so now we're teaching them, there's a discussion that's gonna happen, you hear a neighbor talking about hail damage, We've got a lead magnet that says whatever, everything you should know about lead, you know, about hail damage. It's an email format. I wrote it up for you. Dave, just forward it off to your neighbor who talks about hail damage or. Well, technically referrals are simply testimonials repackaged. Borrowing their trust. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a repackaged testimonial and there is nothing, there's nothing that can take somebody from a cold prospect to a warm market faster than trust. And, and the fastest way to do that is testimony of somebody that they know. I don't believe there's a faster way you can bridge that gap other than with testimony of somebody they know. So if, if it's a neighbor, a friend, a, a business associate, one of the things we, we used to have a referring agent program in a company, a manufacturing company, and it, we had two types of referring agents. We had A, you pick up the phone and physically call somebody on my behalf or B, you walk me in the front door with me and we'll give you two different types of referring agent fees based upon how, you know, which one works. Right. Customer buys. But I mean, sometimes we're selling a half a million dollar system and, and the, the, the referring agent knew that. I say referring agent, I'm talking about a physical customer who owns a business, you know, a president of a, you know, multi-million dollar company who would say, hey, would you go introduce me to Steve? Um, and they would, in a lot of cases, they'd say, yes, well, think of the trust you have to have to get somebody to get in their car, go introduce you to Steve, and then the three, you're going to go to lunch together. And what do you think your odds of getting a sale go way up when you're out with Steve's buddy? And, and so we knew that as part of our referring agent program, that if we could get personal one-on-one -on -one time and create a trio, then you could remove Steve from the equation. And now we got this I mean, now you got a, you got that bridge of trust that happens. So um, a testimonial is the most powerful thing to take a cold client to a warm client. So, and, uh, well, it's funny. So, so I'm jumping on top of that same thing. So, so there's, there's some industry research that talks about uh, the top two reasons people hire you. And it's pretty consistent whether you're whatever business you're in. Uh, but the two answers are because you have ex, uh, experience with dealing with people like me and you're familiar with my situation, right? So you could even build that, go back to our roofing example. I've got experience. I'm experienced. Your house is 20 years old. There's a likelihood there's some sort of a hail damage. I, you know, we do this all the time for people like you. We do this all the time. Hey, there was a hail storm. We do this all the time. There's now a 75% chance your roof has hail damage, right? But the language you use, your big language being the copywriter, which is just by acknowledging those are the two reasons people hire me because, because uh, of course they know I can trust you, but they, but they know that I have experience dealing with people like them in their situation. Yes. Right. And use that language back to them. Gains their trust. Yes. And that oh. didn't remember the old days. I think it was Brian Tracy talked about mirroring. Yeah. 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 You sit forward. If your client sits back, you sit back. I right. mean, Right. Kind of the old school. I mean, there is a lot of subliminal stuff that goes on. But again, I believe back then 
people were selling more than they were marketing. And if you're good at marketing, you don't have to sell. You don't have to sell. That's right. You create a methodology for people to buy. We had this conversation last week with one of my other guys and it was, let's make it that it's the biggest no brainer in the world to do business with you. They would be a fool not to do business with you. Right. And go back to, like we said before, if, if you gave them a wow experience, they'd be a fool not to do business with you. If you gave them a wow experience. They'd be a fool not to take a referral that you gave them. Right. But like you said, the, the, the car dealership with your, with your daughter, you know, you'd be a fool not to use that person because they're, you know, they're trustworthy. Right? So let's make it no brainers by using the right trust and the right language to, to make it a, a no brainer to do business with me. That, that's marketing. Let's make it so obvious and so blatant that you should ask to do business with me. You should want to do business with me. It's, it's a no brainer. You'd be foolish not to. That's the goal of marketing. And that, on that note, I think we covered a lot today. We covered a lot. So what we learned, uh, how great marketing works, what we learned from the late Lee Iacocca. We took it down many paths, but we stayed pretty consistent, which is, it's all about marketing. It's all about marketing. And it's what, it's what um, I think works best. I do. All right, man, where can we find you? Find me at davidmulvaney.com, LinkedIn, David Mulvaney. And uh, how about you, Matt? Good stuff. So 10xprofitblueprint.com, 10xprofitblueprint.com. And then I'm Matt Hudgens over at uh, LinkedIn. Got some articles I put on there. All right, Matt. All right, man. We'll talk soon. Good to be back. All right. Good to have you back. Take care.